Yes, perhaps yes, said Gollum. Smeagol always helps if they asks, if they asks nicely. Right, said Sam. I does ask, and if that isn't nice enough, I begs. Of Herbs and Stewed Rabbit, The Two Towers. and Melon, and welcome back to Interesting Tales from Tolkien, a Podmoo. I'm Mel. And I'm Kristen. And this week, we are covering The Two Towers, Book 4, Chapter 4 of Herbs and Stewed Rabbit. Yum, yum, yum! Unless you're Gollum. We hope everyone out there in Podmoot land has had a wonderful holiday season and that you're all stuffed full of good things to eat and having a joyous time with your family and friends and everything else that this season brings. Happy holidays from all of us at Podmoot. And a happy new year. Should olden hobbits be... No. (laughs) (laughs) Guess what, Kristen? What? Stuff happens this week. They meet some things on the road. So, Mel... Do you want to take 45 seconds and remind our readers what's happened so far? Of course. What are my challenges this week? Your challenges are our previous Radagast sighting and the actions of Gwaihir. So this Hobbit Frodo inherits this evil ring from his uncle and is forced to go off on an adventure. And before the adventure even starts, he's abandoned by the magical wizard Gandalf. So off he goes with his companions, they go through perils as they cross the lands, they meet Strider, Frodo gets stabbed by a Morgul blade, he gets to Rivendell and he's healed, where he reunites with Gandalf, who eventually tells his story about how he met with Radagast and was told to go to Saruman, only for Saruman to betray him. All good though, because Radagast saved him. So it is A-OK, because Radagast saved him with Gwaihir, who flew in and helped Gandalf off the roof. Um, I've wasted a lot of time, so uh, Gandalf dies, Fellowship breaks, uh, Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli go to war and find Marion Pippin in Isengard, Frodo and Sam are walking around a lot and met Smeagol. <laughs> I have not seen you succumb to a curveball yet, but that was really close. I didn't succumb to it. <laughs> I got everything in. I just tarried a while on it. <laughs> it's hard to talk about Gandalf in less detail than required. He is a very important character with many facets. Indeed. Now, just so I don't forget, is Gwai here the one who also rescued him from the top of the mountains after he came back to life? Yeah. Yeah, look, I did not have time. No, you didn't. You did not have time. <laughs> but that's why I wanted to just remember. That needed a whole 45 seconds all of its own, just the acts of Gwai here. Well, I guess it's my turn in the hot seat now, eh? Exactly. And this week, you actually have things to talk about other than they walked and they talked about walking. Okay, here goes. As they walk, a red light from Teeth Towers follows them, and the road grows more decayed. It is spring in the Thillion, and signs of wars can be seen. Sam sees the light in Frodo and loves him and is worried. He asks Gollum to help hunt food. Gollum finds two rabbits and water, but no herbs. They eat rabbit stew. Gollum is angry that Sam built a cooking fire. Sam leaves the fire into daylight. Four men of Westerners discover them. They skirmish with the Southrons, and Sam sees Mumuk the Oliphant. Will the hobbits now be prisoners of the men of Westerners? I love that you're calling them the men of Westerners. <laughs> Isn't that who they are? They're descended from the men of Westerners. They are men of Gondor. 
descended directly. History, details, um, how to make this quick. The land of Westerness, Numenor, they came over to Middle-earth and established two kingdoms. This was kind of discussed in the Council of Elrond, Arnor and Gondor. So Arnor is the one Aragorn's been living in and it's all decayed and destroyed. And Gondor. So Gondor is a mixture, though, of men of Numenor or descendants of them and what they call lesser or middlemen. So the bloodlines are all not pure anymore. And what Frodo observes in Mablung and Damrod is that they have still pretty strong blood of Numenor compared to other men. Okay, and just to make sure I get it, Aragorn is also a descendant, is that correct? That is correct. Okay. He is a descendant of Isildur's household, Elendil and Isildur, which is a big, important household because they were kings. Okay, cool. New characters for the week. I just said half of them. So we've got Mablung, Damrod, and Captain Faramir, who are part of this company that is in Ithilien harrying the servants of Sauron. There's a fourth dude, but bless his heart, he does not get a name. Nameless Ranger. We also heard another name for a group of the men there, the Southrons, which is who Captain Faramir's group skirmishes with. And Sam actually gets to see a mumuk, which he calls the Oliphant. Yes, Sam's day was made, despite everything else going on around him. It's nice to have a chapter with some plot. Some action. So... We're in agreement we can skip the first couple of pages because nothing's really that interesting until Sam decides it's time to cook. Which, bless his heart, yes, using your phrase, he has his pots and pans with him. I did think the one thing was interesting is what ended up in my recap, which is the single red light burning in the Towers of the Teeth. Other than that, yes, they're walking... (laughs) I also loved the description of being farther south and finally realizing the difference in the terrain and that spring was already busy about them and plants and names of trees and flowers and shrubberies. And I just loved all of that. It did my little poetic heart so much good to read the springing spring. Good old Tolkien and these very deep descriptions followed by oddities, shall we say, because he does this beautiful job of describing this new land they're in and how much more lovely it is and how lovely Athelion is. And it makes you almost forget about how dark and dangerous the lands just beside them are. But even there, there's the little insertion of they had not come very far from the road. And yet, even in so short a space, they had seen scars of the old wars and the newer wounds made by the orcs and other foul servants of the Dark Lord. So they find a thicket where they can lay down. And Sam is getting really worried about their stash of Lembas and how it is not going to last them, maybe even until they reach Mount Orodruin, much less if they want to have any for the way back. Thinking about that all-important return journey. And he decides to build a fire and he turns to Gollum because Gollum's about to sneak off and he says, well, where are you going? Hunting? Well, see here, old noser. You don't like our food and I'd not be sorry for a change myself. 
could you find anything fit for a hungry hobbit? And Gollum agrees. He says, Smeagol always helps if they asks, if they asks nicely. And Sam said, I does ask. And if that isn't nice enough, I begs. At least for now. I love that the relationship between Sam and Smeagol continues to deteriorate because they're actually both kind of petty. Only kind (laughs) of? Well, right now, only a kind of. In a few pages, we'll see some other stuff. (laughs) So Gollum slinks away to go hunting. Sam takes this moment and looks on Frodo, who is asleep. He remembers Frodo lying in Rivendell injured from the blade of the Nazgul, but at least Frodo's face is peaceful. The marks of fear and care had left it, but it looked old, old and beautiful. I'm like, oh, Sam. I also love that he mentions, but now the light was even clearer and stronger, the light that seemed to be shining faintly within. And this is only one of a handful of mentions of this, that Frodo seems to have some supernatural or mystical energy that resides within him. I mean, we saw it when they were fighting the Barrow White. Sam mentioned seeing it in Rivendell. And I'm wondering if we're going to continue to see more and more of that, or if that's going to diminish as the story goes. But we haven't heard talk of it for a while, so it's nice to hear Sam bring it up again. Definitely. And yes, we should keep an eye on it and see what happens as the story goes on. Smeagol returns and he has rabbits. I love this. He has bought nice rabbits, nice rabbits. The master has gone to sleep and perhaps Sam wants to sleep. Doesn't want rabbits now. Smeagol tries to help but he can't catch things all in a minute. And Sam, thankfully, has no objection to the rabbits. And it says all hobbits, of course, can cook, for they begin to learn the art before their letters, which many never reach. But Sam was a good cook, even by hobbit reckoning. And with all the little that he has, he starts to cook. He has Gollum as his little kitchen assistant until Gollum throws a fit. So trip two into the search for Gollum is to dig up some water for the stew. And he manages to find some water. And in the meantime, Sam has gathered some kindling and twigs, uses his flint and tinderbox, and starts up the fire. And when Gollum comes back, he throws a fit. Ah, snow, he cried. No, silly hobbits, foolish, yes, foolish. They mustn't do it. Not make the nasty red tongues. Fire, fire, it is dangerous. Yes, it is. It burns, it kills, and it will bring enemies. Yes, it will. And of course, Sam is like, no, we're good. Unless you let the fire smoke, no one's going to see it. And he goes on to say, because Smeagol, of course, wants to eat the rabbit's raw. He says, each to his own fashion, our bread chokes you and raw coney chokes me. And I'm like, that is a fair compromise. And he goes, if you give me a coney, the coney's mine, see, to cook. If I have a mind, you needn't watch me go and catch another and eat it as your fancy somewhere private and out of my sight. Then you won't see fire and I shan't see you and we'll both be the happier. And Gollum is still not understanding the whole concept of cooking food. 
And the more he protests, the more Sam just starts laying out all the delicious things that he knows how to cook. Taters and bread. And he says, Gollum, can you please go fetch me some herbs? And at that, Gollum draws the line. Yep, he doesn't eat roots or leaves. No smelly leaves. Sam goes on to start talking about potatoes. This is one of the most iconic. I'm sure you've seen the meme. Taters. What's taters, precious eh? What's taters? Potatoes, said Sam. The gaffer's delight and rare good ballast for an empty belly. But you won't find any, so you needn't look. And it keeps going on, and he talks about fish and chips. Yes, yes, we could. Spoiling nice fish, scorching it. Give me fish now and keep nasty chips. (laughs) Oh, you're hopeless, said Sam. Go to sleep. But to be fair, before this, Sam had threatened once the water boiled to dunk Smeagol in the boiling water and boil him up along with all the turnips and carrots and everything else. So, you know. The whole exchange is just hilarious and actually i haven't seen this meme so i really look forward to it y'all don't tweet me the memes tweet them to mel do not tweet i am surprised you have not seen the meme but no one tweet the meme you know in another gosh six or so months we will finish the books and we'll be able to watch the movies it's actually not that far away right we're at chapter four of ten of this section and then there's uh, how many chapters of return of the king I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. Let's just say ballpark figure of 20, 22 maybe. So about six months, 26 weeks. Yeah, we're so close. (laughs) By summer, y'all. And so Sam cooks up the food and he rouses Frodo to give him some. And he explains what he's cooked and that it's not really that good, but it's something. And Frodo is more than grateful. And he's actually just as worried about Sam. He says, you should have been resting, but thank you for making breakfast for me. But Gollum has gone missing. Dun, dun, dun. And Sam shares with Frodo that they're actually not getting on too well. There's a good deal of stinker, the bad Gollum, if you understand me, in him still. And it's getting stronger again. Not but what I think he'd try to throttle me first now. We don't see eye to eye, and he's not pleased with Sam. Oh, no, precious. Not pleased at all. I love that. <laughs> Sam starts using the precious word. <laughs> and so Sam takes his gear off to the stream to wash it, and then as he looks up, he notices that there is smoke coming from their fire, and he panics. So he runs back and finds that it sets some ferns ablaze. He manages to put out the fire, but they can hear a whistling now, and it's not of birds. Okay, I just have to interrupt here and say, Frodo, are you useless? Did you fall back asleep, or how did you not get up and stamp out the fire yourself? I mean, I know it's your job to be the ring bearer, but if you had been paying even the slightest bit of attention, you could have noticed that Sam had left and the fire had maybe gotten a little bit out of hand. So minus a couple points for Frodo here. Oh, he's useless. I mean, what? (laughs) And Frodo is sure that he heard voices. So they grab their packs 
and realizing that they won't be able to run anywhere, they quickly go to hide instead and they hear voices. Four men come in from different directions into their little thicket. Very efficient of these ranger dudes, I have to say. And they're described two with spears, two with great bows, almost of their own height, and great quivers of long green feathered arrows. All had swords at their sides, and all are basically dressed like Scrappy Strider. Yep. But these ones, they mask their face. So all Frodo can see at first is their eyes, and he at once thinks of Boromir. Which we find out is actually true. I love that once Frodo and Sam realize they're going to get caught anyway and they can't run, they stand up back to back and they draw their little puny weapons. And you have to think that the men are like, what? Well, they are like, not orcs, said another, releasing the hilt of his sword. Elves, said a third doubtfully. Nay, not elves, said the fourth, the tallest. And it appeared the chief among them, elves do not walk in Athelion in these days, and elves are wondrous fair to look upon. Or so she said. Meaning where not, I take you, said Sam. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they've been scrounging around for how long now since they left Rivendell and wearing the same elvish cloaks? I bet they don't smell so great either. And it's been about three months. Ew. They did manage to wash <laughs> in the little pond where they slept last night, but blah. And they ask where's the third member of their company, and Frodo explains that he doesn't know, he is only a chance companion. I'm not answerable for him. If you come on him, spare him, bring him or send him to us. He is only a wretched gangrel creature, but I have him under my care. And I'm like, well, if he's under your care, are you not answerable for him? Like, pick a side, Frodo. And he goes on to explain about the fellowship that was formed and who all was in it, and that they lost Gandalf in Moria, and the rest of the fellowship broke at the Falls of Rauros. And as he names the other members of the fellowship and gets to Boromir, all the men recognize Boromir's name. And not only that, Boromir, son of Denethor, was High Warden of the White Tower and their Captain General. Sorely do we miss him. Who are you then, and what had you to do with him? Be swift, for the sun is climbing. And so Frodo mentions the riddle that Boromir had brought to them, and Faramir confirms that he knew, knew about it. And so Frodo explains, well, Aragorn is the one with the broken sword, and we're the halflings. And Faramir is not slow. Faramir goes, hmm, so what's a Sildor's bane? And Frodo's like, yeah, we can't tell you anything about that. Shh. Well, he actually says that is hidden, which he's a little bit crafty, making it sound like they don't know either. Like they're still trying to solve that part of the riddle. Yeah. Clever, clever Frodo. But Faramir and his men are quite busy. So they leave Frodo and Sam with Mablung and Damrod because they've got business to attend to and they'll be back shortly to talk more. And it turns out not only do they speak the common speech, but they also speak some elvish tongue or something just a little bit different from elvish. 
and that they must be Junadine of the South, men from the line of the Lords of Westerness, which is what you were explaining earlier. They were rangers yep. of Ithilien. Yep. So a companion group to Aragorn and the Dunedain and rangers of the North. Not that they get to interact. And it turns out they are waiting on this road to try to ambush the men of Harad, the Southrons. And they curse them <laughs> because... Damrod explains that there used to be dealings between Gondor and Harad in the far south. And though there was never friendship, but now a lot of those southern lands have come under Sauron. And they talk about the lands of Umbar as well. And pretty much say, look, everything in the east has just gone to Sauron. And the days of Gondor are numbered and the walls of Minas Tirith are doomed. So great is his strength and malice. But they're going to do what they can. Yep, they're not done fighting yet. The road may pass, but they shall not, not while Faramir is captain. He leads now in all perilous ventures, but his life is charmed or fate spares him for some other end. So I'm wondering about that too. I put a little star there. He seems to be able to survive a bunch of battles in a row. Interesting. And he's very looked up to by his men. And so they're all sitting there waiting and Sam's wondering where Gollum has got to. And he says he stands a fair chance of being spitted for an orc or of being roasted by the yellow face. But I fancy he'll look after himself. And he lies down next to Frodo and has a bit of a doze. And in the middle of their nap, they're interrupted by the horns of war. It turns out that there's now a skirmish between the Southrons and these rangers of the south. And Damrod calls for Frodo and Sam to come and look and pretty much commentates the battle for them. They are coming, cried Damrod. See, some of the Southrons have broken from the trap and are flying from the road. There they go. Our men are after them and the captain leading. And Sam goes closer and sees more. And there's even a wounded man who falls through the brush not so far away from them and dies in front of them. It was Sam's first view of a battle of men against men, and he did not like it much. <laughs> I can see why. And then he gets to see Umumak, which is another word, well, another word for Olifant, we think. Definitely matches Sam's description. His upturned horn-like tusks were browned with bands of gold and dripped with blood. His trapesings of scarlet and gold flapped around him in wild tatters. The ruins of what seemed a very war tower lay upon his heaving back, smashed with his furious passage through the woods. And there's still a mighty warrior, a giant among the swearings, clinging to his neck. And we also hear that its descendants in this day are just a fraction of the size of this guy. And Sam is so happy. He draws a deep breath. An oliphant it was, he said. So there are oliphants, and I have seen one. What a life! But no one at home will ever believe me. Well, if that's over, I'll have a bit of sleep. <laughs> always practical, our Sam. Always practical. Always practical. 
But I do like that we never hear what the fate of the Mummock is, whether he escaped to roam the wild for a time until he perished far from his home or was trapped in some deep pit, or whether he raged on until he plunged in the great sea and was swallowed up. And I'm like, those are all very sad ways to go. It's hard to be a beast of war. As you said, Sam is like, okay, well, I'm going to get some sleep. Uh, Go quietly when you must. No need to disturb my sleep. I was walking all night. And Mablung laughs and says, I do not think the captain will leave you here, Master Samwise. He said, but you shall see. And we shall see in the next chapter. Do we think that's going to happen? Ugh, character shout out. What a rigorous chapter. I liked this one, actually. Before we do that, I actually like this chapter a lot, which is a huge step up from the last three. I do, too. And I have to say, of all the battle chapters we've read so far, I thought that this one accomplished a lot without a lot of actual battling. I I get weary. You get weary in the walking chapters. I get weary in the fighting this way and that way. And yeah, I like this chapter, too. Character shout out. Well, Mel, why don't you tell us your character shout-out first this week? (laughs) You don't know who you want to say. Uh, See, I'm torn. Part of me wanted to give it to Sam for his amazing revitalizing stew made from not much at all and always looking after his master. But then that's what Sam does all the time. Like, how much can you praise him for the thing that is just the expectation? Then I was like, well, maybe Gollum, because Gollum went and got the conies for Sam and gave us that marvellous entertainment with that back and forth. And then my third maybe is uh, probably Damrod. For uh, I think he has a little bit more than Mublung with explaining things and telling our hobbits what's going on and explaining the histories, and that's all really important stuff to know. So I am torn in three directions. Well, and I'm going to add a fourth one because I actually was going to shout out Faramir because he's the one who sees the smoke and sends the group and they approach the clearing from four directions, make sure that no one flees. And then he also has been leading this group of rangers and then continues to lead them into what sounds like a battle where they could be vastly outnumbered. And they seem to do a pretty good number on the South Runs in this battle. So... I don't know, any of the four of them could get shout-out of the week. Exactly, but we need to decide for ourselves, each and every one of us. Do totally. we? Totally. I think, I think we're being too vague. I think, I think we need to decide for ourselves. I think I'm going to give mine to Damrod. Well, I only had one choice, so mine goes to Faramir. <laughs> Are you ready for prediction versus fiction? Da-da-da! We made a stew and we made a fire. It didn't attract orcs, though. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. So you said Sam has his cooking gear. Yes. They find herbs and a rabbit to eat. Yes. They light a cooking fire. Yes. And attract the attention of orcs. Nope. They begin to make their journey towards Minas Minas Morgul, which is what they did. So good on you. This week, I'm expecting something a lot better than that like when I say better more deep more detailed but our next chapter is called the window on the west the window on the west okay well let's pause a second while Kristen opens her map here we are in quadrant four 
and I am looking for something that says window on the west, and I'm not finding anything. You will not find anything. Okay, so window on the west. Well, I'm guessing that the window is somehow a way to look through the mountains or look towards the west. Um, maybe it is a window in the Tower of the Moon. Now, you I don't know, know the why. Tower of the you know the Tower of the Moon is Minas Morgul, right? Yeah, that yes, place. I do. Okay, just making sure. <laughs> so, I guess my suggestion to you is not to focus so much on the name of the title, but to more focus on well, what's just happened, what would logically happen next in the next chapter. We're sitting around with this group of rangers. Faramir is away, but we're being told Faramir will decide what happens to them. Well, Gollum is also away. Gollum too, yes. I don't think the men are going to just let them be or let them go. I think we're going to have to have at least some more conversations between the hobbits and Faramir I think they're going to have to figure out what happened to Gollum. Gollum is not going to take too kindly to the nasty men's. I wonder if they're not going to talk about Aragorn or talk about some more of the history of the men of the South. Maybe find out some more about what Boromir's leadership was like. We are currently in North... Ithilien, and I can see the road there. There is another little crossroad between Minas Tirith and Minas Morgul, and I'm thinking that is the farthest we could possibly get in this chapter. I do think the window is something that's in the tower. And perhaps this is when the men are discovered and the Oh, I don't know. I don't think the men and the hobbits stay together much past this next chapter. I think at some point they're going to have to part ways. And I, I don't think this is like they're going to be taken prisoner for a very long time. Um, I think we're going to spend this next chapter chatting and also looking for Gollum. Okay, things to think about. It has only been, oh, I think, I'm going to say 10 days since Boromir died, and Frodo and Sam don't know that Boromir died. Is that going to play any role in any of this? Well, it's already played some role, because it was the mention of Boromir's name that got them connected in the first place. Otherwise, I think the men would have just, like, picked up the hobbits and thrown them over their shoulders and not given a second thought. I think it is the story of the fellowship that put them on equal footing. Okay. What's going to happen with the ring? Are the men going to find out about it or is Frodo going to be able to keep Isildur's bane a secret? I don't think Frodo betrays the secret. I think Smeagol could potentially betray the secret if he's found again. I think the idea of Smeagol helping the master 
his master he's now calling Frodo and also protecting the precious. I think Smeagol could see the men as a threat. And I think his talking about the precious and all that, like, I think that could betray at least the idea of the ring. But I don't think Frodo's going to betray it. I think he's already said Isildur's bane is hidden and that's, I don't think he's going to, no, I don't think he betrays it. Are the men a threat to Frodo and Sam? No, I think Gollum could perceive them as a threat. I think it's going to be very clear that they are on the right side or they are on the same side. Let's just put it that way. So we don't foresee the ring itself causing any trouble for Frodo with these men noting how temptatious the ring is? Well, that sounds like you're trying to lead me somewhere. And we have seen... I mean, I'm just trying... All I'm saying is these are the same, like, men that Boromir comes from. Well, Boromir knew about the ring, though. Yep, so you don't think they will find out about the ring? Because you said Smeagol, if found, will betray the secret, but that doesn't answer whether or not you think they definitely will or definitely won't find out about the ring in this um, chapter or whatever. I don't know that they find out about it in this chapter. And even if they did, I think it would take a bit before they would be overcome by the obsession. I mean, it took Boromir all the way to the falls of Rauros to, well, okay, Boromir had a little bit of inkling of obsession for a bit, but I don't think the power of the ring is going to corrupt the men super soon. Now, if they all stay together a while, I could see in maybe two or three chapters that then the men become a threat and want the ring so that they can win the war, like everyone wants the ring. And then I think Frodo and Sam will have to split off. I do. I think they have to split off anyway. All right, then, everybody, homework. Read The Window on the West. Thanks for joining us. If you want to find us on social media, we are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Podmoot. Our email address is podmoot at gmail.com. And our website is podmood.com. If you'd like to contact me personally, I'm at Mel Bickett on Twitter and Instagram. Kristen, where can people find you? I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Kristen Conducts. Norvera Mellon, until we meet again. Bye, y'all.